him call. Between uh, age three to six, you can be dismissed out this side door. Thank Tony and Lisa for teaching the children today, and they'll be dismissed at this time also. If you're with us today, you can go ahead and turn to Acts. If you're staying in here with us, turn to Acts 16. Verse 16 is where we'll start. Once again, thank you all for being here today. And I'm glad that we could be together on such a pretty day. Amen? This looks like it's going to be a pretty day today. And you, you picked a good thing to start the day off with. And we're grateful for that. And, and uh, we pray God blesses you for that. And we're glad we can be together. We want to talk to you today about probably maybe a familiar story that we refer to a lot in Scripture. And uh, it's a good story to look at. And I've preached on it several times uh, since I have been preaching. But uh, I can't say that I've always preached it the same way. And really, I can't say that about any message that I come back because it's always different. I don't. If, if I get it good, it's one of those things I would like to come back and do it again. But it never really works out that way. So... Uh, you know, it, it kind of happens that way sometimes. Did I tell you that sometimes I have in in my dreams written what would written songs that would probably set my family for life if they ever caught hold. In other words, somebody would record him. I have written in my, I mean, in my mind, the song was just, I mean, it, the lyrics were beautiful, music was wonderful. I mean, it would just. If, we, if the right person got it with us, we'd have been set for life. And then I wake up, and I, I've woke up before the middle of the night to write these lyrics down. Got a pen, chopping my lips, ready to go, smacking my lips, ready to go, sitting down, just ready to just write it down, and it's gibberish. Ever had one of those? Well, you know, sometimes we, we get those things, and, and we know what we're going to do, and then we, when it gets to the, we get right there to do it, and it doesn't come out quite that way. You know, sometimes in life, we're going to be called to pass test. You know, if you, um, if you watch, uh, if you have uh, social media and you look at Facebook, I've got a lot of college students and other students on mine, and every so often they'll get this. You can tell when they're having this test week. Oh, I passed a big test. Made up. Boy, they're excited. And I guess the ones that didn't pass probably don't post is what I'm thinking. But... Um, but, you know, you can tell that they're, they're all excited. And there's things in life that sometimes we're called to pass the test. I've not always made 100 on test. How about you? I've not always made 85 or 70. I've not always passed the test. Sometimes I've pretty much bombed the test. But in life, we're going to be called on to, to pass test. And, and we're going to see a little bit of that today as we look at uh, Acts 16, uh, verse 16 through 34. It's quite a bit of Scripture, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me today as we read God's Word and read Acts 16, verse 16. <clears throat> and it reads this way, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation, and this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
And he came out that very hour. Verse 19. But when her master saw that her, that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison Awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and they took him the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them. He rejoiced, having believed in God and all his household. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we need you today to bring this message to us. And I pray you would. Thank you, Lord, for the time we have. And God, I pray that your spirit would speak to the hearts that would listen. Find any force, God, that would be distracting, that would hinder us. And God, I know you'll not let it be successful. But we pray today that you'd speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Luke tells that Paul's missionary journey came to Philippi and they encountered a slave girl who was demon-possessed. Now, I won't spend a lot of time talking about demon possession, but I will say I believe it to be real. I believe demon possession was real in Scripture. I believe demon possession is real today. Brother Darren, can somebody be demon-possessed today? in the modern year of 2012? And I believe that the answer is yes. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that acts goofy or everybody that acts bad is necessarily possessed by a demon, but I will say this, there is possession and there is also oppression and certainly influenced by demonic spirits. Do you believe that? And if the demon isn't in somebody, there's enough demon influence in this world to certainly make act folks like they've got demons on the inside. Amen? So I believe that that's true. And I also believe that demon possession can still be a thing, whether we want to accept it or not in our modern intellectual age of reasoning everything out, as the song says, still believe it can happen and does happen from, from time to time. And they encountered, encountered the slave girl 
who was demon-possessed. Now, a lot of times in Scripture, when you see a demon-possessed person, they are acting contrary and being distracting and all these different things. In this case, the demon possession was working to the benefit of human masters. Did you catch that? The demon possession was actually a benefit to some people, the ones making the money off this slave girl. Now, I want to say this. These masters that own the girl, they thought they had the demon in check. I need you to know they never had the demon in check. Amen? It looks like they were controlling the reins. It looks like they were making things go. But at any moment, that demon could have overpowered and killed them. The demon was doing what it wanted to do for its benefit. Understand that. And it just so happened it benefited those masters at this time. So when we look at this, we see that the demon gave this girl, and I don't know that we have any clear indication of how old she is. I think teenager when I look at it, but I can't say that with certainty. But the demon gave the ability to foresee the future or tell fortunes. Now, be very clear as to what we're talking about. We need to be careful when we see things and look at things that we can't explain and we say things like, well, I, the horoscope, it, it's true and, and I, can, I, I can look at these things and, and people tell my fortune and they read my palms and, and they can look at the tarot cards and all these different things. I'm going to say to you today, there could be some truth in those things. You thought I was going to say it was a bunch of baloney, didn't you? I, I'm going to say there can be some truth in those things. Because the devil has power. And so don't be surprised if you read your horoscope and it might make sense to you. Because guess what? There's more than one spirit in the world. We, we concentrate, want to camp near the Holy Spirit, but for the Holy Spirit that's in this world, there's also church in an unholy spirit. And there is a counter for God's power. I want to tell you this morning, with a big smile on my face, the devil ain't stronger than God. Amen? So I'm not worried about him ever defeating God, because guess what? God's already done that through Jesus Christ at Calvary. The devil is a defeated foe. Amen? But he does have power. And if given the opportunity, will exercise that power against you, especially you, who are God's children. So you've got to be careful. You're marked men. You're marked women. If you're a Christian, the devil's out to get you. So you need to understand that. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be taken off guard. It's going to happen. So when we look at this, we see that the demon gave the ability to foresee the future. They are making a lot of money off of this. Okay, People are willing to pay good bucks to know what the future holds. I really don't know. want to know what the future holds in this life. I already know that at the end of my life, God's going to take me to heaven. That's enough for me to know. But there are some things that I don't necessarily want to know next week because I may not get out of bed if you tell me. I may, if, if, you know, if I knew some of the stuff that's going to take place, I might just soon stay home that day. So I'll just wait and find out when everybody else does. 
Luke's description in the Greek when he talks about this demon, it's referred to as a spirit of python. Python's a big snake. And I don't like snakes. How about you? Never have a like snake. The best snake is a... Oh, y'all have learned well. Now, so the, this was a mythical snake that was supposedly killed by the Greek god Apollo. And this snake was thought to have, this is what they thought, their myth, this is what they believed, okay? This snake was thought to have certain powers, um, one of which was the power of prediction. So whenever this phrase is used, it was understood that the person who had this spirit of Python was controlled, they understood it to mean that he was controlled by this spirit that could predict and it was an evil force. It's a spirit of Python. And so when you see that, that that's what it's referring to. In verse 17, we see that this demon compelled the girl to proclaim the truth about who they were. Look back at 17, and it says there that this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And you might think, well, they're working on the same side. Don't be mistaken. Because the demon wants to get in on this. He wants to look like the power to be. He wants to look like the authority. He wants to give you the truth. Listen, it's the same thing today. The demon, devil, Satan wants to look like he's got the truth. He has the answers. He wants you to follow him. And, and they're proclaiming a little bit of truth here. She says, these, are, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Why in the world was a demon do that? So he looks like he is the one who is the author of truth. Church, Satan is not the author of truth. He's the father of confusion. He's the author of lies. He'll take a little truth so you'll follow it, but he'll take you so far away from the truth, at the end of the day, you won't know how to get back. And when we look here, we see that Satan, through this demon, the spirit of Python, is trying to grab some of the attention for himself. And in verse 18, look at that. And this she did for many days. We see that Paul didn't instantly rebuke her. Now he must have been restraining himself, because this is the same Paul that... that didn't have a hard time saying stuff. Okay? And it's a good thing it wasn't Peter, amen? He cut her ear off. No, that's a different story. But we see that Paul didn't instantly rebuke her. But, but look what happens after eventually. You ever get aggravated? <laughs> but Paul... Here, here's, here's your vindication for next week. If you get aggravated and somebody says that's not, that's not Christian-like. Paul, greatly annoyed. Can Christians get annoyed? Well, Paul did. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, I, I, I can't read a whole lot into that, but you know we tend to think that Paul does this for the benefit of the person who's being possessed and all, and, and all this stuff. But based on that one scripture, what I'm reading is Paul got annoyed and said, come out. Isn't that what you see? 
Now, I'm sure there's a whole lot more that reads into it, that, that is into it. That's what I see. And Paul knew... I need you to know something. In the grand scheme of things, the devil is nothing more to you than a, a little annoyance. Because he's already defeated. God's already the victor. You've already won. In the grand scheme of things, the devil is just a little dirt on your shoe. Amen? I said amen. He's just an annoyance. He's just an inconvenience at the time. Because if you're saved, He can't take your salvation from you. But little annoyances can become big things. And they can cause problems if not checked. So Paul, greatly annoyed, said, you need to come out of her. And guess what? The devil's gone. The demon's gone. Okay, now that's a good story. I like that. Everybody ought to be happy and we ought to say amen and go home. But, when we look at this, some people weren't happy, were they? Let's keep reading. In verse 19, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, okay? So now we find out, just like everything else, that it's money that makes the world go round. Money is at the root of this issue, at this problem. They are now not making money. They've got to do something about it. So they bring Paul, they bring Silas, they bring these guys before the authorities. And they, because they lost their income, they bring them based on two things. Number one, they're Jews. That's always a mark against you in a, in a Roman court. And also, they're causing trouble in the city. Romans were very concerned about keeping order in the city. They have to be because they had such a varied populace in every city. They had a wide culture. They had all kinds of cultures represented. They really didn't have a problem with most religions as long as you paid Caesar his tribute. But they did have to be concerned if anybody was perceived to be causing problems. That's why Pilate had issues with Jesus. He didn't personally have issues with Jesus. He really didn't want Jesus to have to die, if you'll remember the story. But he had to appease the crowd or he would have had a riot. Does that make sense? I don't think Pilate necessarily, this is my own opinion, I'm not building a church on it, but I don't think Pilate necessarily disliked Jesus. I don't think he liked Him. I think he was indifferent. But because the crowd hated Jesus, he had to appease the crowd. And when we see that these guys come before uh, and, and proclaim Jews causing troubles, that's all that causing trouble. That's all they needed. That's that's all the buzzwords they needed to get the balls rolling in, in the courts. Well, they were beaten with rods, not just one rod, but several small rods that you tie together and then you bring down the force on the back or the legs of the prisoners. And they beat them up. And then they were thrown into jail without a trial. And I used to spend a lot of time, because it says the inner prison, puts them in stocks, it goes into details. They put them like they were the worst criminals in the world, is what they did. And like they really thought they were a flight risk. I need you to know, they probably had a little bit of concern of that, because I think there would already been one or two prison breaks with Peter involved a little bit before. They probably heard about that. And I won't go into those stories. God had already let Peter out at least once at this point. 
So anyway, they, they put him in the inner prison and uh, weren't going to let him go. And then in verse 25, begins to demonstrate the working of God here. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Does it matter if you pray? Does it matter if you sing? Sometimes you don't sound, seem like singing, does it? Sometimes you don't feel like singing, do you? You ever not felt like singing? I, there's been times I've not felt like singing. That's when you need to sing. Do you know it? Sometimes you need to sing when you don't feel like singing. Because you need to hear the words remind you that God's been faithful in the past and church He'll be faithful again whether you want to trust it, believe it or not. God's always faithful. I like songs because they remind me of that. We say, well, we have Scripture and we have the Word. We certainly do. But how many people do you know will go to a song sometimes before they go to Scripture? Amen? Well, let's be honest. Don't be so pious, okay? I'm not saying you should go to a song before Scripture. Scripture is absolute authority. But what my prayer is, is that a song will lead you to the Scripture. Sometimes it does. We love songs that are based on the Psalms or other Scriptures that have the Word deeply embedded in their lyrics. We love those songs and they're important to sing. And they were praying, praising God, singing songs. I bet people thought they were on the psychiatric part of this Roman prison. You reckon they had a psychiatric ward at that point? They did that night, amen? Because you got some guys that just came in, just got beat, were treated very badly, and the very first thing they can do is praise God and sing songs. They're nuts. You know, we, we think about that, but you know, why isn't it that's the very first thing we don't do sometimes? Why don't we do that the very first thing in our trials? Do we do that? Many times we probably don't. We sing a song, but it's not praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow. It's, it's gloom, despair, and agony on me. Tonight, God doesn't let me down again. And those blues songs, we're, we're not singing with uh, George Beverly Shea. We're singing with B.B. King. And we got the blues. Right? And, and, and so we're singing... But we're not singing the right songs. And it says they sang praise, and they praised God, and they sang at midnight. At midnight. Is there any significance in midnight? I don't know. There's a lot of significance in midnight when I can't sleep, and I wake up, and I look at the clock, and it's midnight. And I say, man, it's eight hours till i got to wake up, and I'm not even asleep yet. Six hours? Hold off on myself then. And here I am, and it's midnight. There's an urgency sometimes at midnight. Things look darkest, the song used to say, right before the dawn. It's dark and you don't see any hope and you're despairing, and you're sad, and you're upset. That's when I would be singing the blues. 
But they're singing praise to God. And, and, and then there's always the morning and, and the, the lights. Don't you love it if you, you know, evidently Russ probably has seen the daybreak? Don't, don't you like it when the, when the sun starts peeking through? Isn't there hope in that? That's why we like sunrise services at Easter so much. You, you, could, see, you could see the light break through. It's, that when, they, when that sunrise is an S-O-N, but it also reminds us of the S-U-N sun, that, that, that breaks through and you get this hope. You, you, that, hey, the day's starting. It's not all bad. I made it through the night. And at midnight, they're singing songs and praising God, having church. Next Sunday evening, our evening service will begin at midnight. Anybody going to show? No, that's, we're coming a different time, right? Y'all didn't laugh. Y'all thought I was serious. No, we're not really going to. You'll be here. Have a good time. Listen, midnight, that's when they came together and that's when God showed up. Amen? Now look, look what happens. It says there that He called... Um, now we'll go back to 27. 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Not just Paul and Silas. And everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep, seeing the prison doors open. You know, you know you're a failure as a prisoner keeper if your jail doors are open. Amen? That is not a good sign. Awakened from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing um, the prisoners had fled, drew his sword, because that was protocol. If you lose your prisoners, kill yourself. Seriously. That's what they did. And it was about to kill himself, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We are all here. That's amazing to me. If I'm ever in prison and the door gets left open, don't expect me to stay. Number one, I hope I never go. But the door's open. And yet Paul his group, and I believe, I've got no reason to think that based on the Scripture. I believe the rest of the prisoners stay too. That's my own personal thought. We're here. We're all here. Now, I can understand kind of because I know the context of being a Christian. I see Paul staying because of what he's going to get to do. But some of these other guys that weren't necessarily having church and they get to go and they didn't leave, that had to be the power of God. Something besides bars are straining them, amen? And so here they are. They're all still there. And um, the guy is in shock. And he goes from one moment to certain death. And then he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's pretty big stuff. Because he went from certain death. He's a failure. Take out the sword. They say, no, we're still here. Who's he owe his life to? Well, he owes it to God. But in that moment, he owes it to the prisoners 
So he submits to their authority. Sir, isn't it amazing that the jailer calls the prisoners sirs? I bet you before midnight he was calling them worse than sirs. Don't you? And treating them worse. What a difference midnight made. Now sunrise has come, or whenever this time is, excuse me. And now there's a difference. Sirs. What must I do to be saved? And so they tell him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take notes, this is important. And you will be saved, you and your household. And everything changed from that point. Four brief things I want to share with you, principle wise, when you're looking at passing the crisis test. And this is how God works at the moments of, moment of crisis. First one prayer and praise are the perfect response. And an answer to trial. It's not the natural response, but it's the perfect response. It's the believer's response. As you look at this in verse 25, you see that they had no motives. I don't believe that they were having major prayer. Oh God, get us out of jail. Please do it now. I'm going to name it. I'm going to claim it. Please, please, please. I think they were just praising God and praying to God. I don't think they were necessarily asking to get out of jail. Would there have been anything wrong in that? I don't think so. But I don't sense that urgency there. They're praying God's will to see what's going to happen in this. See, you sometimes are in jail. Sometimes you're where you're at because that's where God needs you to be. Did God need him to be in jail? Oh, we're not real careful to say, clear to say amen there, but God evidently needed him to be in jail at that point so the jailer could get saved. Right? So, so we see that, that prayer and praise are the perfect response and answer to a trial. There were no motives involved, and I think the prayer and the praise was just a normal response to anything they did. Second one is this. <clears throat> God works even in unfavorable circumstances. Even when the bottom falls out. Even when the motor blows up. Even when the roof blows off. God works in an unfavorable situation. You see that through 26 and 27? God provided an escape, and yet He didn't tell them to escape. He just reminded them, hey, when I'm ready for you to go, the, the doors are open. But they didn't ruin. He provided an opportunity to witness, and the real reason they were freed, I believe, was to witness to the jailer's family. We get so much out of this story, but I think sometimes we miss the fact that somebody got saved in this story. And the whole thing this set up was so that particular jailer and his particular family could come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I think sometimes we get caught up in the earthquake, we get caught up in the beatings, we get caught up in everything else, but at the end of this story, church, somebody got saved. And I think as we look at this, we know that He works through unfavorable circumstances. And then the third one is this. Believers should strive, should try to be a good witness no matter what the situation calls for. Look at verse 29. They called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He found out real quick that the authority came, in this case, from these prisoners. He saw them the only answer 
They didn't run, but they stayed to finish what they started. And then the last principle is this. People come to know God because of how we respond. And as we share the Word with them, does it matter how we respond in trials? Yes. Does it matter how we handle things as they come our way? Yes, because people are going to see that. It does matter if we blow it in front of somebody. Because that may be the very moment God wants to use through us and for us and by us to witness to another person. God used this to save the jailer's family and the disciples responded and God blessed. Now there's a lot more to the story and I know I took this out of tonight's lesson. For those that will be here tonight, you're going to get the first part and the last part of 16. But I thought I'd hit right in the middle to whet your appetite. I encourage you to be here tonight to hear the rest of the story. But as we prepare to close... As they come to do the invitation, I want you to think about how you respond to tests in your life. Because whether you've had it recently, whether you're going through one now, understand at some point you're going to have a crisis, big proportion in your life. And God's going to be looking to see how you respond. I ask you to stand. God, thank You for the grace, for the ability and the strength to bring this message today. Thank You for touching me. And God, we pray that You would speak to our people today. We love You. We thank You for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.